This episode of Hockey Press Pass is presented in part by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village. Unplug your game. Buy board games. Play board games. Food and drink. Fun. And friends. Ian Mendez, name three players or coaches or NHL executives who early on in your media career were exceptionally kind and gracious to you. I'll tell you what, uh, I was early 2000s Ottawa Senators, so for me, the three that jump out uh, automatically, uh, Jacques Martin, who was a terrific head coach with Ottawa, used to always call me Ian, could never quite say my name right, Ian, I uh, <laughs> love Jacques, I'd go through a wall for Jacques Martin, uh, taught me so many things. Uh, the longtime captain, Daniel Alfredson, uh, when I worked either on the PR side or the media side just treated me with so much respect and uh it, it it's been a, a wonderful relationship and the, and the last one would be jason spezza who uh is one of the most upbeat media friendly guys you're going to meet had a chance to kind of work with him a little bit when he was uh, a prospect in our system and then i jumped the fence to uh the media side of things and he was uh, fantastic to deal with he's one of those guys that i have a feeling he's going to end up uh you know, behind the in front of the camera, sorry, at some point when his uh, his career is over. You always love to hear that because uh, I, I've mentioned it. It's totally random to people. But when I started the Islanders, Bob Basson and Steve Conroy, for some reason from day one, were just really nice to me. And it made me feel comfortable. And they are Hall of Famers in my book. So uh, you, you know what that means. You're listening to Hockey Press Pass presented by Instat Hockey. Our guest is Ian Mendez, who covers the Ottawa Centers and the NHL for The Athletic and is one of the hosts of the Athletic Hockey Show podcast. He previously worked many years in TV covering the NHL for Sportsnet, hosting a sports radio show in Ottawa, and very important, important to me to point out for this show, one of his early jobs, as mentioned, was in media relations for the Senators. So let's start with this, Ian. Uh, Pierre Dorian has said that the Senators' rebuild is done. I read it on The Athletic. Um, I believe it was written by Ian Mendes. I appreciate his confidence, but I ask you, Ian, how would you describe what it's like covering the team at this stage of their development? You know what, and I this is where I think you and I have a lot in common because, look, for, for a long time, the New York Islanders were a smoldering mess, right? And it was all sorts of issues and all sorts of uh, off-ice drama and never could quite get on track. And that's kind of where Ottawa's been the last four or five years. That was kind of, a, a, I think a lot of teams have gone through it. The last four years for Ottawa have been really tough. And so when Pierre Dorian said in, uh, in a press conference, I, I think it was in, in early September, he said, the rebuild is over. It was like, you know, if you're ever sitting in a, in a press conference or a media conference and there's one quote that somebody says and you're like, and you can, you already know in your mind, that's it. That's the quote. That's the story. So that, that was going through my mind when Pierre said the rebuild is over. But I think what he really means is I think the pain is over. The, the time of us being a laughing stock in the Eastern conference is over. I don't think he thinks that when the season ends, they'll be in the bottom five of the standings. I think he means the pain is over. We're not quite a playoff team, but maybe we'll be in the middle of the pack. And I think that's, uh, that's really what his intent was in that, in that, uh, in that moment. And what's it like for somebody covering them in this moment? So this is, this is the thing. I, I think as a, as a reporter, 
you either – and I think most of us would prefer to cover a great team, right? Like I think at the end of the day, we, we cover this sport because we love the sport and we love the fans. And we you want it for the fans, right? Like I want Ottawa fans to experience just one Stanley Cup in, in their lifetime. And so for me – that's what I want. These guys and girls have been through really a, a hellish four-year period. So that's what I would like to see. But on the flip side, like, so if you don't get that, I think as a reporter, either, I think either you want to cover a great team or you do want to cover a little bit of a tire fire because something in between isn't all that interesting. But if, if, if there are salacious storylines or interesting storylines, and there was an 18-month period there, Chris, where – it felt like the Ottawa Senators were, I mean, they were the, the back page of the tabloid every every other day, it felt like in this market, where they were off-ice disaster after off-ice disaster. And that's not fun for anybody. So um, I, I do think that the last four years have been really interesting, like even just journalistically, really interesting to cover a team that has undergone as many problems and changes as the Ottawa Senators. But I, I like I think everybody else, I'm ready to kind of, uh, hopefully embrace an era where uh, this is going to be a successful and fun team to watch. I always say I loved every moment that I worked for the Islanders, despite all those struggles. But sure, there are times where you just go, what now? Or what's going to happen next? And I don't even remember exactly where it was. I'm going on a little tangent here. But when I saw the thing about the Senators Foundation being, oh. I was kind of like, what the heck next, right? Like, you know, that's when it just, now it goes to other levels and I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but, but it was more just like, wow, like it's, that just shows you when, when a team gets or any business gets almost like an infection, if I could use that yeah. word, uh, you know, in, in perspective, it's sports, a team. It's just like, it goes everywhere. It's not just the performance on the ice. Um, one thing though about a team that's in the struggle to get better, to take that leap. And it's one of the hardest things to do in sports. You're right. I always say when the Islanders made the playoffs that first year on the Laviolette after seven or eight out, it was it was joyful. It really was, to me, like a cup in terms of just a, we're, 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 in, we're in the game. We're back in the league finally. But there is something to be said for, like you say, your mediocrity isn't great or first-round playoff exits isn't great, but covering the characters, the personalities of the players, the kids, the veterans, the veterans who maybe aren't, aren't doing their best, the ones who are being great leaders, a lot of great stories. So is that something you try to dive into every day for the athletic? Yeah, I think so. And I think... Um... That, that's one of the things that out of all of this has come some really great stories, some really great human interest stories. And there's this great collection of young kids with Thomas Shabbat and Brady Kachuk and Drake Batherson. And uh, they have this great vibe to them. And it, this is going to be a lot of fun for, uh, I think what happened was about two years ago, they were this weird collection, like a mishmash of guys. Like here's come, here's like Ron Hainsey was, was playing a big role. Uh, last year was Derek Stepan. And you know, when you bring those guys in, as much as they're kind of quote unquote veteran leaders, there's no attachment to the community, right? Like there's no attachment. Like, you know, that this guy is a temporary, it's a temporary stop for him. And so what you need for me is you need to connect with the fan base, with the guys that you know are going to be there for a long time. So that's where there's a great opportunity. I think Chris to tell some great stories. So just in the last couple of weeks uh, or kind of heading into um, this, the hockey season this year in, in 2021, I was able to sit down with some, some, 
you know, players from Ottawa, Igor Sokolov, who's this Russian uh, prospect, uh, Ridley Gregg, whose dad Mark played a little bit in the NHL um, with the Hartford Whalers. Um, and, and um, uh, you know, you tell these great human interest stories. And that's, that's what I really like doing. And so I think, to me, um, that's, what, that's what people, especially if you subscribe to The Athletics, right? Like, I think what you want from The Athletic, if you're a subscriber, is you want the story that you're not going to just get at TSN or ESPN or, you know, whatever. And not, and not to say that those aren't good stories or there's some, there's some great storytellers, right? But um, you need something a little bit different, right? You need to justify why uh, men and women are paying whether it's two bucks a month, five bucks a month, whatever you're paying uh, on your deal to get the athletic, like you're paying us your money. And it's, it's our job to come up with unique, colorful, interesting anecdotes to go the extra mile. So I think it's, it's great to kind of tell those, uh, those types of stories when you can. So Pierre got his contract extension, but the president, not the butt, and the president of hockey operations is somebody who you know is a former coach and has been in the game a long time, but has for a long time been one of the faces and voices of the sport on TV in the U.S. and in Canada. So I, I can't help but ask, like, what is that dynamic like, Ian? Uh, for for in general, you know, with the centers to the extent that you might know, but also for you as somebody covering the team. Yeah, and listen, I've known Pierre Maguire, like like most people who've worked in the media industry, you've probably known Pierre Maguire for 10, in my case, 20 years. And uh, look, he is a walking encyclopedia, like literally, like, I mean, before, like before there was Google, there was Pierre Maguire. And, and, and he had the ability to recall information, dates about players that you're like, there's no way that's true. Then you'd run and check it. You're like, man, he was right. That That is where he went to high school. Or that is where he, uh, that was his boyhood idol or what, you know, whatever it is. Um, encyclopedic knowledge. And it's, it is remarkable. And I, and I do think um, having him within the front office, uh, remember, where was he for most of the last, you know, uh, 15 years, he was at ice level, right? And I think when you're at ice level for NHL games, um, you have access to uh, sight lines that, you know, certainly other scouts and hockey ops people don't have access to conversations. And it might be during a stoppage in play, but maybe you overhear a conversation between a player and an official or teammates or like just information that nobody else could have because you were right there. And I think that's invaluable. So I, I think it's really interesting. Um, as for the dynamic, I don't know. Like, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how this is going to play out because um, I'd like to give it a year or two and let's see where we're at. But where I, I do think it's interesting is the thought that ran through a lot of people's mind, Chris, when Pierre Maguire was brought in. The thought was, that's Pierre Dorian's replacement. Like, Eugene Malnick is hiring uh, Pierre Dorian's replacement. Pierre's got one year left on his deal. And look, I asked the question to Pierre Dorian uh, in the... Uh, in his press conference where they hired Pierre Maguire, I know he didn't appreciate the question. Uh, I felt it had to be asked because I think that part of our job, unfortunately, is ask the questions that your readers or your audience want asked. And I do think it was a legitimate question to ask, was your replacement just hired or how, like, how do you feel about that? Like, and you know, he gave me a good answer. I could tell he didn't appreciate the question, but uh, he answered it. And then in late August, early September, they gave Pierre Dorian a contract extension. So it was kind of like, Hey, remember that storyline that you tried to drum up that uh, Pierre Maguire was my replacement? Well, guess what? 
that story has evaporated. So um, I'm curious to see how will the dynamic play itself out. And I think that's going to be one of the interesting things to watch unfold here in the uh, in the season for Ottawa. Well, maybe he pretended to not appreciate the question because he, he, he would have to be blind to not know that that storyline was there. So why not address it right away? So you did your job, uh, but I think you also helped him. And then him getting the contract extension, that doesn't prove that it's going to be harmonious, um, but I'm sure they'll say the right things. And then we'll see what happens over time. I'm curious, have the senators uh, established, whether it be the PR department, uh, you know, have they established any kind of protocol as to Pierre is going to be the person you should be reaching out to and will be doing the weekly or day-to-day interviews, uh, excuse me, Pierre Dorian, but Pierre Maguire, yes. Pierre Maguire yeah. uh, you know, will bring him out once a month or so. Like, is there anything like that? It's, you know what? And, and one of the things Pierre Maguire said when he came in was I, I was brought in to be a little bit more of a spokesperson. Um, and, and this is not to the fault of Pierre Dorian because I don't know how many general managers could have handled the last four years without some missteps, right? Like we talk about, you know, trading Carlson, trading stone, some off ice issues, the Uber incident, Eric Carlson and and Mike Hoffman's uh, significant others, uh, Randy Lee, uh, like, like, and that's just off the top of my head. Like literally there was so many controversies with this team and Pierre Dorian had to be the guy that was out in front of it. He was the face of the franchise, so to speak in a very tumultuous time. So I think that there was probably some missteps and uh, on his part, but I don't necessarily blame him because it was a, it was a tough go, but now you bring in Pierre Maguire. And as we kind of alluded to earlier, Chris, he is one of the most polished, well-spoken uh, people out there. And if you're trying to sell a message, Pierre Maguire can sell a message. He certainly can. He can talk a very good game. He's a he's a smooth talker, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, oh, he's a smooth talker. No, he's he's smooth, smooth as delivery. And uh, I think it's going to be great if I'm the radio station in Ottawa, the the TSN radio station. I'd be trying to get Pierre Maguire on once a week. Um, but they haven't really talked about that. They, uh, Pierre Maguire did say that his role was going to be a little bit more uh, in terms of being a spokesperson, but he hasn't really in the first couple of months. Hasn't really done too many interviews. You're you're my guest, but speaking about Pierre Maguire like this, I want to share a story. I didn't plan on to give you an idea of how long I wanted to do a podcast like this about the media. Six, eight years or so ago, I had an idea of doing something like this. And then uh, Jerry Seinfeld's Comedian in Cars Getting Coffee show started yeah. showing up. And I said, yeah, that's kind of like the spirit behind it, right? So hooked up with a friend who we used to work for NHL production. I got a camera. I can edit. What if we do you know, kind of shoot a pilot? So somewhere, so, somewhere there exists a video of about a half an hour long. I called Pierre McGuire and said, would you do this thing with me where we just talk about your craft or whatever? And bless Pierre Maguire, I understand he could be a lightning rod and, and all that. But he he texted me a few minutes later. He said, uh, Greenwich uh, Skating Rink, yep. outdoor, meet me Tuesday, 1130. He arranged for this beautiful outdoor space in Greenwich, Connecticut, where we, uh, we even stood behind the two benches at this outdoor rink. He skated around. We talked process. We went into the snack bar, talked some more, and... Did it turn out good? Well, no, because I sucked at it. But he was, he was, he was great, and it was just another one of those things I'll never forget. So when people have things to say to me about Pierre, I, I say, you know, there's a, there's a lot there, and uh, there's a lot of good there as well, and I, I trust you've seen it as well. 
Yeah, and that's just it, right? You're right. He's a polarizing guy. Polarizing. Good but, word. But, but let's be honest here. He has um, he has an electric or magnifying presence on camera, right? He does. He absolutely does. He commands the camera, and his delivery is really good, and he's super passionate. I, I have a hard time thinking in the sports world how many people love their craft. And, I mean, obviously it's his ex-craft now in terms of being a broadcaster, but how many people when you watched – you just knew they loved it. And that's the thing with Pierre McGuire. You know he loves hockey. Uh, I can't think of anybody in any sport that loves their sport more than Pierre McGuire loves hockey. He just went from arena to arena to the next yeah. flight, and he did it, and he did it with pep in his step. You'd actually see him leave the arena to go to his NBC game, you know, the next day. And he just he just was – he loves it. So it'll, I know he also wanted to always work on uh, back in hockey. So yeah. uh, here's wishing you well, buddy. Um What's the toughest interview you've ever had to do? Ooh, that's a good question, you know, and, I, and I, I've thought about this a little bit. And, and, you know, it's actually one that wasn't all that long ago. It was earlier this year. And, and I did a piece when the Montreal Canadiens ended up going to the Stanley Cup final. There was, you know, a little bit of a, a I don't know, a five-day period, a six-day period yeah. uh, before, I think, game one of the Stanley Cup. And the Athletic had asked me, listen, we know that you, you kind of know Luke Richardson and his family a little bit. We'd like a, a feature story. Do you think you could tell the world about the Luke Richardson story with with uh, his wife Stephanie and their their uh, their daughter Darren, who unfortunately um, ended her own life in uh, in 2011 or 2010 at the age of 14. And I've known Luke and Steph for a long, long time. I've done some mental health um, kind of. Uh, seminars and that type of thing with them and you know i reached out to steph and said look i i got an opportunity here to, to i want to tell your story i want to do it the right way um i want to kind of tell the hockey world a little bit more about do it for darren because um you know luke uh, during the, the the series against uh, uh vegas if you recall um dominic ducharme got kind of put away on, on on the covid list and luke took over and he and he won a an improbable game and he had the little dift pin on his uh, on his uh, lapel and um just it was a sweet moment and i thought it would be a nice kind of jumping off piece so you know i, I phoned steph and i have known her for a long time and i'll tell you chris um she broke down and started crying and i had a hard time getting through that interview uh because i'll tell you my wife and i have a, a daughter who who's 14 years old same age and and i hung up the phone and i went over to see my wife and i broke down and i cried and i, I said that 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 is that's the toughest interview i've ever done uh it's the most emotional interview i was just on the phone um, I was so, I, I get choked up about it now because I think if you have, even if you don't have kids, I think it's, it's certainly a story that resonates with you, but to, to think that a 14 year old would feel that hopeless and, and, and not see, uh, the positivity in the world, it's, it's, it's a tough story, but how that family took that, like Chris, that this is what I don't understand. That is every parent's worst nightmare and worst fear that you would take that and turn it into now 10 years later. It has become in Ottawa this movement where you have saved hundreds of young people's lives. And I'm sure as that message has been spread, the number is probably in the thousands in North America. But in our community, Luke and Stephanie Richardson have absolutely unequivocally saved hundreds of young people's lives by speaking out about uh, mental health with, with their child. So for me to do that interview, and even though I know this story and I knew this story and I've done, I broke down and it's, it's, one of those things that it, it'll get you. 
Uh, I think every single every single time I uh, I talk about it. It's incredible what the Richardsons have done, and and you know there was a few year stretch there where uh, Luke was an assistant with the Islanders, and yeah. and different teams, and every time he went to a new market, he would be asked, or there would be an initiative, um, uh, for a DFD, and and to have the strength to do that and to make a, a difference. I'm sh- I hope they know. I sure uh, hope they know uh, how much of a of a difference that they've made. Uh, since since we are on that subject, um, do you have any struggles with kind of balancing um, social justice issues, doing the right things while being a sports reporter? I, I, you know, I talked to somebody recently who said, I would like to do more, but I feel like I'm always being shot down on Twitter when I when I say something. So what what's what's been your stance on that you are you, you just go for it and whatever it may be will be or you or is it a matter of picking your spots yeah i think you do have to pick your spots a little bit because i think if you uh uh-huh, if every single thing that happens if you you know take some sort of definitive stand on it i think you start to lose the message people be like yeah 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 and you get the uh you know, the old SJW tag, right? Hey, social justice warrior. And, you know, you don't want that. What you want to do is engage in real change and and, and use your platform in, in, in a good way. So I'm a big believer, uh, Chris, and, and this is something I've done for a long time. And, and the Logan Mayu story is a great example of this, okay? Because this is a young man who obviously, um, you know, committed a, a, a you know, kind of a sex-related crime overseas. Um and, and I know, and, and I, I understand people saying like, oh, why can't boys be boys? Kids can't make mistakes anymore. Uh, didn't you make a mistake? How come we can't give them a second chance? And I understand that. But I'm a big believer in using my platform, and I used it on the Athletic Hockey Show, and I've done it for, for years, Chris. I've gone to high schools in Ottawa, and I've worked with these, these really cool programs. We're trying to teach young men uh, basically to not, um, you know, not, not uh, sexually assault women not to um, rape women and and to treat women with respect. And we're doing that with 14, 15, 16 year old boys. And so when the Logan Mayu story came out, it really did. It resonated with me because I see these people saying, doesn't he deserve a second chance? Of course he does. But can we just focus on why is he making the first mistake? And why are so many mistakes that young men uh, are making? Why are they at the expense of young women? Why do we feel this need as men to shatter the innocence of women? Like, what is that? Can we get the So, so for me, when you ask me, like, well, you know, do you, do you tackle social justice issues? I do. But that's the one that's at the top of my priority list is, can we uh, get young men to treat young women with a little bit more respect? And I, and I do believe that as a, as a member of the hockey media, um, I do have a unique voice. I do have a unique platform. Uh, I'd like to do it. I, you know, do you get shouted down when you do it? Of course you do. Of course, you always... There's no topic you can tackle in the year 2021 that isn't going to result in um, you, you check your Twitter uh, feed. And what, what's the thing at the bottom? It's the show. Uh, it doesn't show up, but it's like show, not show sensitive comments oh, or yeah. wh- whatever. Yeah, it, is. Yeah. It, it is. Yeah. It flags and you're like, for sensitive material. Yeah. Or something. yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, here we go. I'm going to click on it. And you're like, here we go. And, and you know, but it happens. But I think as long as you are uh, ethical, principled but but maybe even more important be flexible be understanding know that you don't know everything know, know that you don't know the answers to everything uh and and also be uh be willing to teach somebody and and understand people don't like being taught by being shouted at 
Uh, people like to be taught by being educated in a really calm manner. And maybe they don't get it the first time, but maybe you'll get them the second time or the third time. And I think if you do it that way, it's good. But when you get, if you get onto a, like what appears to be like a, like a pedestal or a pulpit and you start preaching, you lose the audience. The whole key, don't act like you're smarter or more righteous or better than your audience, your readers, your fans, whatever it may be. We're all on the same level. You're just trying to um, sometimes inject a little bit of empathy and a little bit of respect into uh, into your uh, your coverage of sports. Back to uh, hockey reporting and your approach. You're a uh, you're a respected professional, um, but it's only natural that there are going to be conflicts. Uh, reporting something somebody said you didn't that they didn't agree with your report or something you didn't like uh has it been important to you to try to resolve these conflicts uh, when they've come up or i've had you also had to work at sometimes being like i'm never going to satisfy them i have a job to do they have a job to do we we have to move on yeah you know it's a it's such a good question isn't it because i think um i think as human beings you have this innate desire to be liked right everyone wants to be liked and when you especially when you're hanging around and chris you know this from working in pr like when you're in the locker room like you want to be liked. these are superstar hockey players and coaches and stanley cup winners and media like these are this is a pretty it's a pretty influential circle that we run in and you want to be liked you don't want to be the the the, the person on the outside looking in but i think when if you really want to be a good reporter or a really good journalist your, your goal shouldn't be to be liked it should be to be respected. And there's a big difference, right? Like there is, there's a, there's a big difference. So for me, that's always my mindset. Um, have I had some, some run-ins? Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing I always tell, and I go to players and I go to coaches and GMs and I always say this, listen, my goal is transparency. My goal is honesty. And I want you to just, you tell me if you ever have a problem with my coverage, just tell me, you know, I try to give people my number. I get numbers. You know how this works. And I'm like, Hey, listen, just, you know, pull me to the, the, the side, take me to the back alley, chew me out there, or we can have a conversation, you know, don't grandstand, don't do it in public. And, uh, but, but if you have a problem with me, let me know. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'll give you a great example it is uh, I have, I have the weirdest and, and it's a, it's not a bad relationship. It's a up and down relationship with Pierre Dorian. And he would probably tell you it's an up and down relationship. And at the end of the day, I, I respect him. Uh, uh, I think he's had a really hard job to do. Uh, but on the day that they traded Mark Stone, which was in 2019, myself and my longtime radio partner at the time, Sean Simpson, had a 25-minute interview with Pierre Dorian in which, um, I'm not going to lie to you, we, we held them to a degree of accountability that I felt he needed to be held to. You just traded the face of the franchise in Mark Stone. And you called it the best day of your life as a general manager, the proud, proudest day of your life. I felt that that deserved a little bit of pushback. Like I shouldn't just as a reporter, well, you say it's the best day of his life. Like that, what? Like, no, it, that's going to require some, some follow-up questions. And I don't think he appreciated the, the manner in which uh, I approached it. Um, and so from time to time, we will have these, uh, you know, butting of the heads and where he doesn't appreciate my line of questioning. And I don't appreciate his tone with me. 
But at the end of the day, I have a ton, I have a lot of respect for him because he's doing a, t- a tough job in a market where I don't think he has all the resources that other general managers have. And so we have a hot and cold relationship. He would probably, maybe he would just tell you we have a cold relationship, but I, I do respect him. Uh, I think at the end of the day, he's, he's a guy that uh, he loves the game. And, and I think he, he, he soaks it. And I think you, we, you would know this too. General managers and players like to say that they have a thick skin or whatever, they're all inherently thin-skinned. And I think we are, too, as journalists. We're the, a lot of people are thin-skinned. But they read everything. They consume everything. They like. I would love to do a deep dive of the 32 general managers. I know some of them have public, like Kyle Dubas is one that I can think of, that has a public Twitter account. I would suspect, Chris, that all of them have a burner account that they go to and they read what's being said about them, their team. And I, I know it. I, for sure they do. So well, what they do is they, they, they have the, 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 the game that is played is I don't read this stuff, but, and better, I'm not looking to beat up on anybody. This is just reality. And by the way, they should, uh, they're not doing their jobs if they're not educating themselves with what's being said, not necessarily by you or me or whatever, but just in general. So they might not read it, but believe me, if something is written or said about them, they want to know about it. And they have people like I used to be uh, yeah. to to inform them to say, well, you should know this. This was the reaction. So this idea that they have no idea what's being said about them because I don't read it. They, they say it to be blunt. They say it because they think it's a great shot back at folks like you and Ellie Salvi. Right. I, I, <laughs> I don't care. I didn't read it. Liar. You know, you know what was written. Yeah. To be to be very blunt, I'm actually not trying to be a wise guy, but you know this is a hockey media podcast, so I don't hold myself accountable for knowing the ins and outs of everybody <laughs> in the league. A stone type trade is usually made for feature uh, for futures in 2021, and I know the the book probably is far from close on that trade. But wh- how how is that trade rate right now? Can you walk me through it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the reason why Pierre Dorian said, and I'm going to say the date was February 25th, 2019, I might be off by a day or two, but February of 2019, so this is the proudest day I've ever had as general manager. And he sends Mark Stone to Vegas in exchange for his second round pick and a young prospect named Eric Brandstrom. And Brandstrom, at the time, you got to remember, was... Vegas's most coveted prospect. Like, there's people who will tell you when the Habs traded, and they, the Habs ended up getting Nick Suzuki for Max Pacioretty, right? The Habs wanted Eric Brandstrom, I think, is what people said. And the Vegas Golden Knights were like, we're not giving you. Like, so you got to go back and realize Brandstrom was really highly rated at the time. You go back and look at a lot of scouting reports. They thought Eric Brandstrom is a dynamic uh, a defenseman who's going to be a quarterback of a power play and a legitimate top 4D for the next decade. And now, Chris, as we move into like we're closing into the three-year anniversary of the trade. That'll be February will be three years. As of this recording, uh, Eric Branstrom has not solidified himself as an everyday NHLer. And you think about that. Like, that's that's rather remarkable. If you had gone back to somebody and said, hey, uh, I'm visiting you from the future, and I want you to know that in two and a half years from now, Eric Branstrom's not in the NHL. You'd be like, what? What do you mean? And yet, here we are. And I think it's it's utterly fascinating to me. And I, you know what I think of? I think of the day of the trade, and I wonder, what do you think Eric Branstrom was thinking when that deal went down? Like, all of a sudden, 
your general manager is pumping your tires pretty big. And now you've got all the expectations on your shoulders. I wonder if the young kid wouldn't like a fresh start somewhere else. And I can't help but think of Adam Larson uh, when he was part of that deal and he goes to Edmonton and everyone's like, oh, it was one for one. Adam Larson never got away from the shadow of I was traded for Taylor Hall. It didn't matter how well he played. You were traded one for one for Taylor Hall. And I think poor Eric Branson is going to have to deal with that. He was essentially traded one for one for Mark Stone. Well, you know, my reaction to that is, is, and let me preface this by saying I worked for Mike Milbury, who's a friend of mine, and nobody made grander pronouncements. If this coach doesn't work, if this trade doesn't work, off with my head. If this coach doesn't work, I believe it was Steve Sterling, he's going to be my last coach, right? So what I would say to Mr. Dorian, who's not asking my opinion, and, and you know, but I would just say whether it's the rebuild is over, whether no matter how he meant it, or this is the, the proudest day of my career or something like that, I would just say stay away from that type. So that's one where Lou Lamorello actually has it right, where like he would never say something like that, and a lot of other GMs, because what happens is they just get stuck with you. Never mind Ian Mendes at the Athletic, but every fan is going to remind him and I suspect they do in Ottawa, that he said that the day of the stone trade. And that's unnecessary. It's unfortunate for young Brandstrom. It's not uh, good for Dorian. And it just, you want to stay away from that. So this is the wisdom that I've gained after all these years, looking back and, you know, in the rearview mirror. Easy for me to say, but, you know, we like quotable people, but yep. don't say things that are going to come back to bite you. It's just not necessary. You don't need to sell the stone trade. You, you, you know, I appreciate that he went on with you for 25 minutes, but be careful with the pronouncements, I would suggest. You know, here's a question for you, and I'm really curious just from the uh, PR side of things. Um, and I think list your listeners would love to know this, like, and, and whether it was Millbury or whoever you dealt with. Before you went out to a press conference with Mike Millbury, did you do like a mock press conference and think about the questions that might be asked and like kind of go through negative scenarios and how to answer them. Cause I don't know that every team does that. And I feel like every team should be doing that. Well, one thing we should point out is that Bill Belichick famously does this. He has people who work with him. And I know people might say, why he just goes up there and mumbles and whatever, but he, that's another great example of somebody who might give out this act that he doesn't yeah. care, but we know he does, and he works hard at it, and it works for him. To answer your question, which was a very good one, is I wouldn't go so far as in terms of Mike and other general managers I worked with or coaches to say like a, you know, a, a staged uh, fake press conference, but what we would do is like a little bit of a briefing. Here are the kind of things you could expect, right? Uh, when Garth Snow acquired Ryan Smith and a half of Canada was coming to our little building on Hempstead Turnpike to do the press conference, we talked about some of the things that he could be prepared to to answer. Uh, so you do your best to prepare them. Uh, I think a lot of people also might wonder, you know, would Mike or somebody like me pre-script some of the snappy lines? When it came to Mike, I think maybe when he was first introduced, uh, hired by the Islanders, he had this thing that, you know, F the Devils, F the Rangers. I'm sure he thought about that in advance. He got some great mileage because fans like that, right? Never mind the other team. Yeah. Screw the other team. Screw, I think it was screw the uh, Rangers. He, he was less profane than I said. He, he said, screw the Rangers, screw the Devils. Um, so, uh, but I don't think he rehearsed much. You, all you can do in, in my job and Senator's PR job is try to do your best to put things in place. Uh, to prepare them for the, some of the things they might be asked for. But, you know, I would say 
if somebody said to Pierre Dorian, you should say the rebuild is over, or maybe somebody above him, like an owner said, or told him to, that's not helpful. Uh, I'm not, I don't know that to be true. I'm just saying those are the kind of things you want to stay away from. Did I answer your question? Yeah, no, no, it's okay. I think, because I think um, that's as much as I think media people talk a lot. I don't think enough media relations people, and I get, I get why, certainly if you're currently working for a pro sports team, I can understand why you wouldn't want to peel back the curtain, you know, so much, but boy, I, I love listening to stories of, from PR people. Like, I think it's, I don't think, I think it's an underserved thing. I actually love this. I mean, just the idea of your podcast is fantastic, but boy, if you get, if you get some more kind of PR professionals and, uh, you know, men and women who have worked in PR departments for 10, 15, 20 years and the stories they can tell, boy, they're, they're fantastic stories. I think they're every bit as entertaining as the, the ones that the, from, uh, from the media's perspective. We're going to take a very brief break when we come back after this message or messages. I'm going to spend a, f- a few final minutes with Ian Mendez of The Athletic on a few topics, including Zidane Chara. Hey guys, it's Pat and I want to tell you about Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. A huge selection of hobby and family strategy board games for sale, from old favorites to the hottest new releases. A library of over 400 board games for open play every day. Our staff help you pick out games and show you how to play. Find your crowd at one of our Magic The Gathering, Pokemon, or Dungeons & Dragons events for adults and kids, including our D&D after-school program, Offered both virtually and in person. A full-service cafe, food and drink, coffee and desserts, beer and wine, fun and friends. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village, go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Unplug your game. Hey everybody, it's Chris. I want to take a moment to thank and tell you all about Instat Hockey. I'm a subscriber and think of the world of their product. They were the first major company to jump on board as a presenting sponsor of my podcast. I can't thank them enough. Instat Hockey offers the largest statistical data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Their work is trusted at every level of the game by coaches, scouts, players, and of course, members of the media, like the people we spotlight each week on press pass. The Instat hockey platform saves the user hours of time watching game film as team and player statistics are pre-cut into separate playlists including players individual shifts. All video clips can be edited, shared, and downloaded by the user. I've used their platform and so have many of the coaches I've worked with so check them out. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more info. instatsport.com hockey. We're back with Ian Mendez from The Athletic. Ian, your, those early years in uh, PR with the Ottawa Centers, how did they inform your media career? You know what? It's, it's funny because, I, I mean, I did a four-year journalism program up in, uh, in Canada at, at Carleton University, which is, uh, you know, fairly well known for its uh, journalism program and, and uh, you know, always wanted to get into the, the journalism side of things and didn't know anything about PR, but ended up getting some PR opportunities, got in with the, with the senators and it, it was great. You know, I think here's what I wish. I wish at some point in every media person's career, you could spend one season as a PR person. And then the flip side, like there should be an exchange program that every PR person has to spend one year as a reporter. And then you would have such a better understanding of the other side's uh, 
you know, line of thinking and thought, because I think there's so much, there's, you know, there's animosity there, there's misunderstanding, there's mistrust, and you just have to put yourself in the shoes of a media relations person, which, you know, you realize uh, sometimes people think that you're just playing the bad guy or you're just, uh, you know, saying no to interviews, but no, you, you've asked the player and the player's like, I'm not coming out there. And like, you're, you're just, you know, you're caught in between, right. You're, you're, you're just, it is tough. So the one thing it did teach me was, you know, try really hard to respect media relations people because they're probably criminally underpaid for the amount of abuse they take, whether it's from executives players or the media it's like you don't quite fit in anywhere right like you're not hockey ops and you're not a player but you're not with the media and you're your own anyway it's a it's a small little part of the team but it's a critical part of the team and so um but it did it taught me uh kind of the inner workings of an nhl team i understood the dynamics that go on inside a front office. And I, it, like I said, it would be awesome if every, if everybody could do one year in, in the other person's shoes. Well, I can actually speak to that because I got to do, you know, yeah. that version of an exchange program. I, I called it fantasy camp. I, it was open-ended how long I did it, but not just with Islanders point blank, but with the times and sports business journal. So then when I went back to PR six, seven years ago, there's without question, I mean, we could debate my effectiveness or what my employers think of me and all that. But I know that I am way better now because of because of that experience. You you uh, gave up a job, a great job with Sportsnet that people would dream of, and you probably did prior to it, uh, to be with your family, to take a radio job, do the show with Sean Simpson, as you mentioned at times, um, and. Uh, now, these years later, you're with The Athletic. COVID has changed some things. Your children are older. Um, but I'm wondering now in 2021, when you look back, how did that all work out for you and how does it work for you today? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I appreciate you asking me the question because I don't think we do enough of this in the media world. I think we put far too much emphasis on our career and not enough emphasis on uh, our families. And I, I had a choice uh, back in 2013. And I love, I want people to know, I love my time at Sportsnet. Love my uh, co-workers, love my colleagues, love my bosses, love the job. I mean, are you kidding me? I was covering the Stanley Cup final virtually every year, rinkside reporter for games. Um, I went to the Olympics. I went to the World Cup. I went to, I went to everything, World Series, everything you can imagine. Uh, and guess what I was missing? I was missing uh, my kids. And, and so at the time of me making the move, uh, my kids were nine and six, I want to say. And, and I had this opportunity to switch over to radio. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I, at some point you can go back to TV. At some, and not that I will, but I, you know, I, had, I, th- I had the thought to myself, I can't. The one thing I can't do is, is hit rewind on my, my kids. They're nine and six. I got one shot with them to be a dad. And I decided to, to put my career on the back burner. And I, and I always said to myself, you know, when I'm on my deathbed, which is hopefully going to be 40, 50 years from now, whatever, I don't think I'm going to sit there and say, you know, God, I wish I had one more trip to Buffalo. I wish I went to New Jersey one more time or, or one like, more. Or Los Angeles. Yeah. Like, or Vegas, point, Maybe right? LA. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm not going to sit there and say, I'm not even going to sit there and say, I wish I had one more Stanley Cup final game to cover. I'm going to say, I wish I had more time with my kids when I was young, when I was healthy, when my kids were young and when they were healthy. And so I think sometimes it's hard to make those decisions in the moment because 
we have these great jobs, but I've always been the believer, try to only love the things in life that love you back. And my job's never going to love me back. As much as I love my job, it'll never love me back. So um, I made the decision. I think it was the right decision. I got a chance to uh, drive my kids to, to, to school, uh, make their lunches, uh, take part in their events, coach my daughter's uh, ringette team, which ringette is kind of like a version of hockey that I we know, play. I know, Ian, I know. Canada. <laughs> I've coached that for four years. I've loved it. Um, I just love I, I love being a dad. So I know that you don't get to be a dad in the traditional sense for an infinite amount of time. Your kids, my daughter's on the verge of going off to university next year. She'll, she's in the 12th grade. She'll be off to university next year. And guess what? That's that's it, right? So I'm super happy that I, I made the decision to, to kind of hit pause on my professional career, make a shift, and, uh, and, and be at home for them. Let me push back on that a little bit. Um, and I remember when it happened. I remember the coverage. I remember a beautiful piece you wrote for our parenting website. Yeah. Now, I know you are a, a person, a deep thinker. You know that that isn't something that everybody could do, right? That was an opportunity you had. It's, so that's fair to say, which brings me to this. I wonder with COVID, if something's come out of this, this idea that maybe not everybody has to travel every game. I know there's a lot of people who yeah. want to, but maybe there can be a balance there, not just uh, because it's safe, not be, uh, not just because it's smarter for budgets, for the athletic, for Sportsnet today, for TSN, ESPN, whatever, but also for quality of life. And I think this is, we're all looking at this in other businesses too, but do you think maybe we're at a little bit of a reckoning here that, that uh, the media business and, and my business too, it's, uh, it's tougher and openings are, uh, can, uh, opportunities can be challenging, but maybe there's a way to make this better for everybody. You are fortunate to be able to get that move. A lot of has to do with your talents and the fact that you were valued, um, but not everybody has that opportunity, but maybe that's a, a path that'll be there for more. Yeah. You know what? You, you said it perfectly. I think if, and it's hard to take positives out of the last you know, two years, because let's be honest, 2020 and 2021 are arguably two of the worst years, uh, depending on how old you are, two of the worst years you've ever experienced. And certainly back to back, they're the worst years. Um, but if you're to glean some positives from it, I think, I think most people in the professional sense found a nicer work-life balance. Right. Like, I think you didn't have to commute for a lot of people. You're able to adapt and stay at home. And uh, if you have a family, you probably spent more time with your family. And if you didn't have a family, um, you, you probably were thinking about maybe it's time. Like, I think it, it changed a lot of people's perspectives. And I do think that it, it changed the media landscape probably forever, because let's be honest here. I mean, how many times now, let's say you're a beat writer. And I'm heck, I'm a beat writer now. And uh, let's say Ottawa's got a one off game in. Carolina. Carolina, St. Louis, wherever, Philly, even Boston. Do you really have to spend $700 on a return trip on the flight, another two fifty on the hotel and a rental car and meals? Like now you're North of a thousand dollars for a one-off game. Is it really worth it? Uh, I I don't know. I, I, I think COVID has taught us that the way that we cover sports, you don't necessarily have to be, at the venue, you don't have to have the same access to the player. So as much as I, do, I know we, a lot of people would like to get back to it, we know how media entities work. Um, they've seen it. Uh, they've seen that their bottom lines are probably better than uh, than they were before, certainly vis-a-vis -vis travel budget. So 
I think there's a nice balance to be struck. And I, I think, um, I think you're going to absolutely see more people kind of doing the media thing and, and studios at home and lighting kits you can get at home and uh, microphones. I mean, you can, you can have a home studio that looks awfully similar to what you would get at, uh, at an ESPN or a TSN or Sportsnet and do it all from home. You wrote a great story for the athletic on the 20th anniversary of the Zidane Ochara trade. Some people might call it the Alexi Yashin trade. Some people might yeah. call it the Bill Muckall trade. Um, and probably when you wrote it, I don't think you thought that Zidane Ochara would be playing the 2021-22 season with the Islanders, despite all your great sources. Um, I've been asked to try to explain. We, we tend to overrate people and players. I think Chara might be one of those guys that is impossible to do that as a person and a player. If somebody was to ask you for, you know, your two to three minute summary on on what is Alexei, what is what is Adano Chara, what what would you say from your experience? You know, I, I had a chance to, you know, I was in the PR department when that trade went down from the Ottawa perspective, right? So um getting to see him at the first training camp and you would have seen him on the Island and you do, but uh, and I, 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 I had seen him play like, uh, so I, but when you see him for the first time, it is the most jarring thing. And now because you've seen him for 20, now I'm not, but the first time you ever see him, it's, it's, it's an unforgettable experience. I remember him. He came to me in the, in the dressing room and he asked me, I had to, uh, he didn't know he had a hydro bill. And he had to pay a hydro bill. He didn't know how to do it. And he asked me, he's like, can you mail? He's like, how do I pay this hydro bill? And I was like, I got it. I'll send it in the mail for you. And I thought, man, like, it's uh, it, it's crazy to think that the guy that asked me to mail a hydro bill 20 years ago is still playing in the league. And is, is one of the kindest, thought most thoughtful, but most intelligent players. And you know what I think about him, Chris? I think you would know this from all of your time. Like you've, you've covered so many hockey players and one adjective you would very rarely use with a hockey player. And I don't like, I don't like painting lots of people with a broad brush, but it's, it is true. The one word you would very rarely use with NHL hockey players is book smart. But Zidane Charo is book smart. Like he is well-read. He is so cultured. He is so, like he is the type of guy I always think, I wonder if he's got political aspirations because he's such a worldly gentleman such a smart guy such a compassionate guy he would make the perfect politician so um if you're asking me what i think of him i I can't speak highly enough about the character can't speak highly enough about the person and uh, it's going to be an absolute honor to watch that guy get into the hall of fame one day and i think it's so great he's going to play this season with the islanders because uh, i love it when things can go full circle like that what do you expect of the Senators in the next season or two? Do you, it's tough to have that crystal ball, but but do you see them on the right path to taking at least that next step? Yeah, and that's it goes back to that original "Hey, the rebuild is over" statement. But I don't think they're a playoff team in twenty, like in the spring of twenty twenty two. But I'll tell you what, Chris, I think by twenty twenty three they should be a playoff team, and I'd say by twenty twenty four, if they got the goaltending. And if Timmy Stutzla, Jake Sanderson uh, kind of elevate their game to where they, the, the Senators believe they can, and Thomas Shabbat and Brady Kachuk are what we think they are, 
I think they could be a Stanley Cup contender by 2024. So that's all you want, right? Like as, as a sports fan, I think you can you you got to sell one of two things. You got to sell winning, or you got to sell hope. And the Ottawa Senators have had not had the opportunity to sell either of those things to their fan base the last four years. Now they can sell the hope because I think you can see it. It's all come together. They got the pieces. They got it's all here. It's just a question of get them re-signed, get them all under one roof, and see where this goes. So the Toronto Maple Leafs fans will tell you, look, there's no guarantee that just because you have a great young core that you're going to get to the Stanley Cup final. But you just want the hope that it's going to happen. And I, I think Ottawa by 2024, Chris, could be in that boat. Yeah. Ian is is going Indio uh, Indo Canadian, excuse me. And, you know, I think, I kind of feel like sometimes um, hashtags and themes and, and stuff like hockey is for everyone are absolutely well-meaning. There comes a point where they need to go away and we need something else. Or, or really it comes down to actions, as you say, use your, use your platform for real change. Uh, were you always universally accepted when you started working in the league in PR and uh, as a reporter. Yeah. You know, I'm, so I'm lucky, I think in that sense that, uh, yeah, there are a couple of instances you, you can think of, of like kind of, you know, what do you call it? Overt racism or, you know, but I could count that on one hand. And I think I'm really lucky. Like I, like I said, off the top, when, when you're fortunate enough to have, Daniel Alfredson kind of set the tone. Um, he, he, you know, he, the way he treated me, the way he treats other people, he, he would never, you know, he would kind of set the tone. So I, I was fortunate to come in to that environment in Ottawa, Jacques Martin, like I said, that type of guy. So what in saying that though, what I do think is important is that I think as, as minorities in sports, just like, just because I didn't face some of the hurdles of, of other people, doesn't mean that it's not there, right? And so I, you know, I, I I need to look at myself sometimes, Chris, and say uh, I'm the exception. I'm not the rule, right? Like I I got to this point, and I I can't just say to people like, well, if I made it, you can make it. Well, no, like a whole bunch of fortunate things happened to me to allow me to get to this point. And just because uh, you know I'm a, a brown guy or you know a visible minority covering hockey doesn't mean any person who looks like me can get there it, it probably is a little bit easier today than it was uh 20 years ago um but i i do think that there's some been some really really significant challenges for for people of color and women in our sport over the years i've been fortunate enough to for the most part not have been a victim of that but i think my ears are very much open to it and i'd like to like i said what can i do to you know be be using my platform to help make the the transition to the game easier for maybe a younger uh, person who's coming in. Um, beautifully said. Uh, it's a perfect note to end on. Ian, I can't uh, I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, for You're always very kind to me as a reporter. And uh, doing this has just been fantastic. And I wish you best luck uh, and my best to you and your family as well. Well, Chris, listen, I appreciate this. I think uh, you're a natural at the podcasting thing. I think your listeners are going to get a real kick out of this, uh, the, the entire series that you have, because I think it's a, it's a great idea. And I uh, listen, I hope that uh, at some point here real soon we'll be able to, uh, to cross paths in person again. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate it.
I just want to say to the fans that I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hockey Press Pass podcast. Please rate us, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. My thanks to Pat, Executive Producer Danny Ryland Carney, Marketing Director Sally Kinsman, all the colleagues who have very generously provided ideas and counsel as we continue to build this podcast. Most especially our thanks to you, the fans and listeners. Thank you.